Hey everyone, welcome to Refuge Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Gaines Taylor, he, him, and Brendan Bell will be joining us shortly on our first ever live podcast. We're really excited because we have been invited to the Q Christian podcast stage at the 2022 Q Christian Conference. And we're very excited because we also get to interview Peter Fenton and hear a bit of his story and a bit about his book, Abandon All Hope. And because it's live, it's going to be a little more raw than normal. And I think that's really exciting. And we get to do a little Q&A at the end, which is a lot of fun to get the back and forth with the audience. So I think you're really going to enjoy today. I really enjoyed it. Brendan really enjoyed it. Peter really enjoyed it. Everyone did. So good times for all. So without any more wait, let's get into the podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first ever Refuge Radio Live. Uh, We're coming to you from the Brian M. Eckstein podcast stage at the Queer Christian Fellowship Conference. Big shout out to Queer Christian Fellowship Conference. Thank you for having us. We we are so glad to be here. Um, I know for myself, this is the second time I'm attending this conference. And last year was such a, a transformational moment for me to have this space where my queerness and my Christianness can intersect. And so I hope y'all, all of you that are here are finding that as well. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with this conference, that if that is something you're interested in, if that's a space you're looking for, this could be a great place for you to find that in the future. But yes, I will introduce myself. My name is Brendan. My pronouns are he, him. I'm Gaines Taylor, uh, pronouns he, him. And today uh, we have a very special guest uh, named Peter Fenton. He is a writer and multimedia storyteller, and he is going to be sharing a little bit of the story with us today. But before that, there's a couple more people we want to thank. Also want to thank uh, the Believer app for sponsoring the podcast stage. That is a great, another great social connecting resource uh, for those of you who are at this intersection of queerness and Christianity. And so if that is, if you're looking for connection, um, whether that's in your local area or even nationally or even globally, that could be a great place to start. It's on the app store or whatever it is on non-Apple products, because I am unfamiliar with what those things are. So <laughs> it's, it's still an app store, Google. Yeah, app. So yeah. Yeah. And, and a few more thank yous. Uh, we want to thank, um, we got all this started last year in March, and Launchpad partners, uh, Aaron Bailey and Jen Fisher, were a key part of starting uh, Refuge and just helping us get off the ground. So we want to give a thanks to them. And then also to Crystal Jeffers. They run Inclusion Audio Production, and Crystal does all our editing and all the production in the background and without them we would not have this podcast Uh, yes we are up front talking but they do all the hard work and my heart is just so full of thankfulness for them and thank you crystal we from the bottom of our hearts we couldn't thank you enough well we want to welcome peter to our show. Thank you so much for coming, Peter. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, 
and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Brendan and Gaines. Well, my name is Peter Fenton, uh, pronouns are he, him, his, and I am based about an hour north of Philadelphia, um, about halfway between Philly and New York City in a little town called New Hope, it's right on the Delaware River. Gosh, where do I start? I'm a writer. Um, I primarily write comedy, um, and I see comedy as very much a way of processing the full human experience. Right now I'm doing a sketch comedy class, um, writing lots of short form sorts of things, but I primarily write screenplays and stage plays. So I'm excited to talk about how, oh, I am a, I'm a gay cis white man and I'm also uh, grew up very much as part of the church. Um, I'm an alum of Wheaton College. So lots of, lots of things to mine and unpack um, in yes. my story and how it's all, processed through writing comedy so is that a good enough intro yo that is perfect yeah, that was great. great that is and there is definitely there is a lot there is a lot with your story and I think I know some of your story and something that was interesting to me kind of where your story starts where you you were raised in a Christian home however contrary to a lot of queer folks experience your Christian home had an affirming bent. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looked like? So first of all, shouts out to Jim and Beth Fenton. They're the best, my parents. From my early earliest childhood memories, I have known that gay people exist. Uh, my, my dad's only brother is gay. And also one of my mom's brothers is gay. He came out later in life, but- um, Gotcha. My dad's, my dad's only brother is gay and he had a partner and like, he was just part of the package. And my parents had processed all of the, huh, what do we, what do we do with gay people? Um, and essentially it came to God made everyone. God made some people gay. We should love them. That was it. Like that, yeah. that's just like, that was the whole bend to what do we do with um, people who are different from us? So I've just kind of always known that. And that was kind of enforced in the household. Like even, even though I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which is very rural, um, there's lots of like the Amish culture, Mennonite culture is very much ingrained in the Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I mean, yeah. my parents... <laughs> My parents obviously aren't Amish or Mennonite, but we were just kind of part of this more conservative community. But my parents were just kind of quietly like, yeah, gay people are cool, whatever. So it wasn't my family that gave me the like conservative, evangelical, non-affirming viewpoint. It was actually being at school with my friends and um, eventually working with summer camp that really pushed me more and more to the right, to the right, uh, metaphorically speaking, of course, right. Um, yeah. in my theological views. Gotcha. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. What was it like a Christian school that you were a part of, or what was, what drew you to, um, more fundamentalist conservative Christianity? I think 
kids, especially especially teenagers. I mean, I wasn't very popular in school. And all I really wanted, like as somebody who was not into sports, as somebody who was not into like things that most boys in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania do and are energized by, like I really didn't have a lot of friends. I was um, I was bullied quite a bit in middle school. Actually, some of those bullies correctly identified that I was gay before I did. It just hits you differently when you're called the F word for the first time um, yeah, yeah. when you're 12, 13, and you just feel so isolated. And so what I had noticed was the people with the social power at my school were the Christians, were the conservative evangelical, like all my friends at school would go to youth group. So I would go to youth group and youth group had more conservative teaching than what I was learning at home. And like that sort of thing. Yeah. So it was like the pull of wanting to fit in, wanting to be appreciated for, because like a lot of these Christian teachings teach like, yeah, we're all unique. We're all beloved. We're all made especially exactly who we are which on the sound of it, it's like, oh yeah, I want to be loved for who I am too. Yep. I want to be embraced for being interested in theater, performing arts, movies, film, like all that sort of thing. And so, yeah, once I got involved more deeply into youth group and in summer camp and such, I started to feel like I was being valued for my weirdness in a new setting and that felt really good to get that yeah. value from my peers because as much as your family loves you as much as like when you're a parent I mean I'm not a parent but I can imagine when you're a parent there's just certain things that are just hard to communicate to your kid that your kid has to learn and experience outside the house Right. Um, like being loved and accepted by your parents is just kind of like, I don't know, it's like the water you swim in if you're a fish. It's the air you breathe. Like you yeah. don't notice it. Or at least in the situation I grew up in. Right. I didn't appreciate the unconditional love that my parents had for me. I wanted to find love that I felt like I earned, you know, mm. yeah. by yeah. being part of these social circles and being accepted in these conservative religious communities and over time I started like adopting those views and yeah it was the whole thing you mentioned summer camp and uh talking beforehand I camp was a huge part of my life too and like did you find in an experience that camp becomes like almost family like very much uh, was that was that kind of your experience, like second family, very much culture type of thing? Yeah, uh, very much yeah. so. I, <laughs> looking back on the years that I was working at summer camp, I do have pretty mixed feelings about how it affected me. It was very much a second family because for the uninformed listener out there, for whoever's watching this, 
my experience working for summer camp, which I think is much like many others, I was away for 12 weeks, the 10 weeks of the program and the two weeks of training or whatever. And I really didn't leave the campus. It was like you worked all day for five and a half days of the week. And then you had a day and a half off to rest up, reset, hang out with the staff. And then it started over again. So it was just, it was very isolating from the rest of the world. Insular, that's the word. Um, And so everybody kind of conforms to the culture, or at least most people conform to the culture, the people who aren't as popular among the staff are the people who like go off campus on the weekends and like go spend time with their, the outsiders, Um, which was like, looking back, it sounds kind of culty because it kind of was kind of (laughs) culty. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading a um, description of like signs of a cult or signs that you're in a cult or have been a part of a cult. And one of them is this, this pull towards being insulated and uh, saying outsiders can't be trusted. You can only trust those inside. And so it, I'm not saying that was a cult, but I mean, that is definitely a cult like mentality for sure. sure. Yeah. It was like just talking to, talking to my parents and just hearing what like now six, seven, eight years after the fact, looking back on that time, my parents said it, it was difficult to communicate with me in that window of my life. Like there was a certain set of language that I had adopted that just was foreign to them of just like the way, like, I mean, it's like, it's evangelical speak really. Yeah. And it's like, my parents are definitely Christians, but they're, they're not deep down the evangelical rabbit hole um, in the way that I was. Um, And so, I mean, it, it had gotten to a point in our dynamic where I was questioning the faith of my parents yeah, um, because they didn't feel as on fire for the Lord or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So we have this tension that you're experiencing between this belonging that you're having um, with this group of friends that you haven't experienced before. And then also now it's kind of creating tension with the parents. What did that feel like to kind of live in that tension? during that time I think it was it was frustration toward my parents because I had felt like I had a good thing going here I don't want to like I had a good thing going with this new this new camp this new community and my parents were in 18 year old Peter's head were a nuisance that were uh, weighing me down. Like there's, there's one of my single biggest regrets in life is the night of my high school graduation. This was my second, I had just begun my second summer of camp and I had to be pulled away from camp training, like pretty much kicking and screaming uh, to go through the motions of my high school graduation ceremony. And like, 
I obviously didn't want to be there. And the attitude that I had all day long was just like, come on, come on, let's, let's get through this. want to go back. Let, let me get back to camp. Let me go back to my real family. Let me go back to my real people. And so the minute the ceremony was over, I hopped in my car and I bolted. Apparently my parents had like set up like a little reception party at the house and I just took off. I couldn't, I couldn't be bothered to spend one more minute away from camp. Like, I don't know. It's just one of those things that to this day still kind of haunts me the way that the way that I took unconditional love for granted in that window of my life. That's probably the best example of it that I have, but it's just, it still haunts me a little bit. And I feel like in the coming up on, in the number of years since then, I just, I feel like I'm playing catch up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that can be, you know, I I can relate that relate to that a lot because I think uh, growing up, I didn't put really my parents and family love really where it was at for different reasons, but it wasn't until like later on in life when I didn't necessarily have anyone and when it just wisdom in general, it's like, Oh, they're onto something. Are they, you know, this, (laughs) they know what they're talking about and they're going to be here no matter what happens, no matter what I do, you know? So I understand that to, to a degree. Peter, I'm curious for you, you talked about in this church camp environment, there was this need to conform. Was there any pressure for you, maybe even particularly around sexuality, gender, to conform in a certain way in that environment? And what did that look like? Uh, Two words, John Eldridge. My first summer at the camp, I was 16 years old and my supervising counselor had said to me, you know, Peter, I think that you have the makings of being a strong biblical man and you Um, should read this book that I love. (laughs) Of course, to to, um, impressionable teenage Peter, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to have my masculinity affirmed. And so I was receptive to somebody, like for the first time in my life, a peer, I mean, he was like five, six years older than me, but a peer was telling me, I see masculinity in you. Yeah. And like that, that gave me butterflies. Yeah. (laughs) Like this was just like, this was amazing that I could be the male image, like this image that I knew that I was, but like, I don't like sports, so I didn't feel like I fit in. So this guy introduced me to Wild at Heart, which was certainly (laughs) a book. (laughs) Yes. For those Um, who are unfamiliar with this book, can you tell us a little bit about it? uh, Yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) so basically Eldridge, Eldridge's wild at heart boils down to 
inside the soul of every man are three things are like three desires in life it's an adventure to live a battle to fight and a beauty to rescue and it's all very cis heterosexist obviously yes yeah blah 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 all that sort of thing but it was just like you should cultivate those three things in your life and obviously that can only be that you are a cisgender straight man and so i i really took it to heart that like if i in it was like if i invested in those things then i would be able to finally prove the assholes wrong that bullied me when i was in seventh grade yep because they called me the f word and that had been internalized for all these years of just like i think subconsciously i had taken on i have to prove that i'm straight because these bullies that tormented me their line of thinking was peter's different from us therefore he's gay therefore let's treat him like shit yeah and so i was worried that if they were right about the gay thing maybe they were also right about the worthless thing yeah Uh, that like i had equated that in my head even though there was a gay uncle who was a beloved member of the family even though one of my dad's groomsmen is is also a gay man who's been in a 30-year marriage roughly and like none of that mattered everything that mattered was the acceptance of my peers and so to be handed a guide that said hey you can be a God-honoring man if you cultivate these three things in your life. It was like, let me preach this. Let me, like, this is going to become my new life. My senior year of high school, I carried around a Bible in my backpack and a copy of Wild at Heart at all times. It was (laughs) certainly something. (laughs) I just want to say I so identify with this, Peter. I remember that book. So I was at a similar, this was also me in like late high school, maybe early college when I got into this book. And it really fed into all those narratives that I had been told even about being gay, that it's like you're gay because, you know, there's some masculinity wound. And so to me, Wild at Heart was like, that was like a bomb or like the key into rediscovering that masculinity for myself. And then therefore I could de-gay myself. Yeah. So I, I totally understand um, wild at heart. I, I will never forget how that was like, went off like wildfire in my youth group too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Literally a wildfire. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Literally. So when was the shift starting to happen getting out of evangelicalism and uh, and your story starting to be shared in unchanged when your mind kind of shifted there and like oh maybe this is all bullshit so yeah. so my shift in thinking happened my sophomore year at Wheaton College at Billy Graham's school in the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College mind you I took a course in gender and communication 
So my, my degree from Wheaton is in communications, interpersonal studies. And I signed up for this gender and communication course because I was really curious about why. So the thinking that I had in my freshman year was, why do we always talk about women's rights? Why are we never talking about men's rights? Which like, it makes my skin crawl yep. when I think about that. But that was yep. truly my thinking. And that, that was wild at heart talking in me, yep. really. And so I signed up for gender and communication because I really did want to learn more about men and women and like why, why we were always talking about women's studies and all that stuff. And so I signed up for it and I did not realize that my entire paradigm was just going to be completely dismantled because I realized, oh, sexism is a systemic thing. Yep. My professor was an unmarried, child-free woman in her 40s, and she did not have to go very far at all to reach for examples in her life being on faculty at a Christian college and being a member of a church with like a PhD with like she 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 knows her shit like she she knows everything there is to know but she was still treated like a second class citizen and just listening to her share her story just completely rocked my world and when she taught me this theory called standpoint theory which posits that every level of society sees things from their point of view so the people who are closest to the power structure, the people who are part of the power structure, can only just see what's in front of them. But the further and further back you go, the more you can see of the power structure and the better understanding you can come to of how the world is working, of how that power structure is working. And so that made me realize, oh, that's how I was ever able to think, why are we only ever talking about women's rights? Let's talk about men's rights. Um, because as a man, I don't understand what it's like to be a woman. So that simple act of realizing that made me also realize, oh, I am a white person. I don't know what it's like to be non-white. It's like, it's the most basic of realizations, right? Like, it's not yeah. like I discovered something huge, but it was just like, huh, maybe I don't know what it's like to be XYZ type of person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was like, if you're playing Jenga, that was like the piece that you pulled out. That was like, oh, everything just fell over. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So like, I became affirming, I became a feminist, I became no longer a Republican. Um, <laughs> it was just like, huh, maybe, maybe John Eldridge was a little full of crap. I don't know. <laughs> um, it was yeah. just like that small realization of, huh, maybe my own lived experience doesn't capture the entirety of the human experience. Maybe there is actually something to be learned here. Rocked my world. And so I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a longer story of how everything came together, but that was when I became more open to 
maybe there, maybe I don't know everything about myself. Why don't I just see what happens and see how things develop and follow organically, which of course led me to realize that I was not just friends with my best friend. I had actually fallen in love with him and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's a journey. It definitely <laughs> is. I'm curious for you in that, when you were kind of in that process of deconstructing and starting to realize your own privilege, um, what did that feel like for you? What Was there any fallout, I guess, from beginning to transition into that? It's a good question. It was surprisingly easy, actually. I don't know. It's It was interesting. So I I worked one summer at camp following the realization that, oh, it's easier to be a man than a woman. Um, I worked one summer at camp and that was, I was really, really detached. Like on the weekends, I would go home. I would spend time with my parents. I wouldn't go to every social function with the camp staff. There was definitely a process of just figuring out that, huh, maybe these people aren't really my friends. So like, I would say it was a more difficult peer journey, but it was actually very, very easy reconnecting with my parents, with my siblings, et cetera. So it was just like, I'd say it was it was tough to let go of things that I had convinced myself were the things that I wanted. Like, I, I feel like it takes a lot of doing to free yourself from something you've convinced yourself you want. Like, I just think about the friendships that I had at Wheaton in those first two years. Like, Wheaton, I don't have to really go into it, but the friends that I had convinced myself that I wanted, I was like super duper a second class citizen within that friend group. Like they all mm. liked fantasy football and they all played sports and they all like, they like Marvel movies, like those sorts of things. It was just like, I didn't really fit in with those guys, but those were the guys around me. And I mean, in hindsight, I had a crush on one of them, but it was one of those things where I didn't actually click with those people. And it was devastating to find out that I, that they weren't going to choose me. Just circumstance. It's, it's a long story. I don't really feel like going into it right now, but like there was something that happened in our sophomore year that made me realize, huh, I'm at the bottom of the pecking order here. This sucks. This is breaking my heart. But like looking back, there was no reason to want that. Um, But it was like the act of trying to free myself from those things that I had gotten so convinced that I wanted. That was the hardest part was letting go of those things. So my question for that is, is one of those things, this like idea of masculinity that you have been fed um, from this culture? Is that kind of the gist of it? Yeah, totally. It was like, I think there was definitely a grieving period for my heterosexuality 
Because I had considered myself to be straight until my senior year of Wheaton. Because, like, again, if I'm gay, the assholes win. Yeah. And so I think there was there was a grieving period for that. And yeah, I was like, it, it is tough to let go of something, of anything, yeah. even if it's not good for you. Absolutely. And like uh, in the therapy context, we talk about that with like coping mechanisms is it's like, even if in the long run, that coping mechanism was not good for you, it also helped you because it kept you alive in an environment that you felt not safe in. Right. And so I think for a lot of queer people, and it sounds like for you as well, like in order to kind of survive in the social setting of like Christian conservative culture, we have to play straight. We have to play cisgender in order to survive. And so, yeah, that does make sense that there is a grief and a loss there when we don't have that anymore. Yeah. It's like, as I made myself less safe within the community, it's interesting because like externally you become less safe, but internally you become so much safer. Yeah. Like, I just remember there being a tangible shift in, I am so much more okay with myself now, now that I've let go, even though letting go was really hard, there's an inner peace that I had never felt before. There was an inner peace that I feel like I haven't felt since the fifth grade. You know, yeah. I like to joke that 16-year-old Peter would be really disappointed in 26-year-old Peter, but 10-year-old Peter would be so effing proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love that. Nice. I want to transition a little bit. We've talked about college a bit, and you've written Abandon All Hope, uh, and the tagline for that is, hell is other people in my dorm room. So, which I love, like, tell us a little about Abandon All Hope and uh, just what's going on with that right now. Yeah. So Abandon All Hope is kind of my, I like to describe it as like a manifesto disguised as fiction. So Abandon All Hope is a stage play that I wrote in I, I think I had been stewing on it for about a year, and I actually wrote it at the beginning of quarant at the beginning of quarantine the first time. So, yeah, um, March, April, May, twenty twenty was when I wrote it, and then I ended up publishing it. Uh, there was a very long saga, but its final form of publication released this past August, available on Amazon. The subtitle is a postmodern parable. It's got a red cover, uh, like a red and beige type of thing. There are two covers. Um, the red and beige one is the one that I see money from. So the premise of the story, it's basically a collegiate retelling of Jean-Paul Sartre's Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's Gaines's yeah. um, correct cover of the book. Yeah. <laughs> so we're following three college freshmen. So one of them is a, she's a secular feminist. One is a guy who won't shut up about game theory. And one is a naive evangelical Christian who really likes a book called The Battle for Manhood. 
<laughs> may or may not be based on a real example. <laughs> the three of them have died and they are in hell, which is presented to them as a college dorm room that's set up for two people. So it's three people sharing a room for two and that's their, that's their torture. So the demon who's in charge of them has challenged them to a game and the winner of the game will go to heaven, but they're sealing the fate of the other two forever by locking them in the room together. And so the, the story explores what happens with these three people and how they go through the ethical ramifications and how they go through the theological um, frustration. I mean, an evangelical has arrived in hell and has so many questions about mm. God and um, what happened that made him be there. And so we go, we flash back also to the days that they died and as reflections of their core flaws. So basically what this story follows is we've got witty dialogue, we have claustrophobia, and we explore religion and ethics from different aspects. And we have um, two different queer stories, LGBTQ uh, storylines in this. So we're, um, we're following one person who's struggling to own his sexuality and one person who is struggling to love queer people. And it's been a fun little book. And uh, Gaines has, Gaines has definitely read it. Um, and yeah. he enjoyed it. <laughs> as far yeah, as I it's, it's very enjoyable. Uh, you can also go to our link tree and it's up on the link tree right now, the link to that. So if you want to check it out that way. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a quick little read. It's written in stage play format. Um, it has never been produced as a stage play, but um, I think it would be. I mean, I think it would be fairly easy to produce as a stage play. There's only four actors. So, you know, I mean, reach out to me if you're, if you want to direct a show on the cheap. Um, I, I have, I've written an LGBTQ Christian story. So uh, definitely reach out to me for that. But I have something very exciting that's going on with Abandon All Hope. I have paired up with an actress who's co-producing a film adaptation with me. We've got a really big, thick binder. I've been in meetings for pretty much the entire new year. Every day, new meeting, new people to talk to. But we are going to be producing a film adaptation. And I'm actually really excited to share publicly for the first time that we have a website that is now up for Abandon All Hope. So it's www.abandonallhopemovie.com. You can learn all about uh, what we're doing and how we are bringing this all together. So there will be, I don't know, what else do you want to know about it? <laughs> I would actually, I'm really curious. So what inspired you to tell this story? I feel like the journey that I went on, I needed to process it. Yeah. I needed to really dig into my own story dig into my past. Because um, each of these three people that are in hell are a representation of myself. And it's like, it's it's a reflection of 
who I am and the journey that I've been on, on faith and identity and consideration for others, question mark, that I just wanted to process. And I felt, I mean, I, I wrote it when I was 24. I felt way too young for a memoir at that point. I feel like there's still quite a lot of story to go through in the Peter Fenton memoir. But I felt like I had gone through something that could be contained as a story and retold as fiction in a way that others could read and do their own introspection and think about what kind of world are they building? Are they building a world that's more like heaven or more like hell? Yeah. That's awesome. I am very excited to, is there anything else that you can share with us about the film adaptation right now? Well, the, the actress that I'm working with, she will be playing the demon and we are looking to film on location either in central Pennsylvania or the Atlanta area. Just depends on where we can make it cheaper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it'll be set in Pennsylvania either way. So um, I would love if we filmed on location in Pennsylvania, but we are looking to spend most of 2022 finding our producing partners and figuring out our budget and also raising that budget. And our goal is to film in the summer of 23 and then enter the film festival circuit in the 2023-2024 cycle. And ultimately the goal would be to have to find a streaming site home for abandon all hope whether that's netflix or prime video or hulu or some, something like that the goal yeah. would be to get it up somewhere by my 30th birthday which is august 26th 2025 so that's the goal so it's going to be a couple years long of a project probably yeah but I'm excited. I really like being in producer mode. That's awesome. That's great. Con that's congratulations, awesome. man. That's mm -hmm. a huge, that's huge. It's Thank really you. huge. Yeah. That feels good. Before we get into our Q&A portion, I know there's one last kind of like shout out mention that I, we wanted to discuss, which is the Unchanged movement, which I know, Peter, is something that you've had a small part of. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and kind of how you got connected with them. Well, yeah. So coming up on three years ago, I guess, was when Unchanged launched in the spring of 2019. I was one of, so the Unchanged movement is a response to the so-called changed movement from, I believe it's sponsored by Bethel, the megachurch out in Reading. Correct, yeah. Um, and I... First of all, thought it was brilliant the way that uh, Nathaniel Green just copied the entire changed movement website. I just think yeah. that's brilliant and amazing what he was able to do with that. But it was a response to this theology that like the, the changed movement posits that um, you can be freed from LGBTQ lifestyle which is how they position it whatever but the unchanged movement presents an alternative narrative of people who are freer by embracing affirming uh, theology and by moving themselves out of 
these restrictive, um, the, the John Eldridge theologies of the world, you know? And so I, I was really motivated at that time in the spring of 2019. And like, I wanted to know everything there was to know about this unchanged movement. And they were asking for stories. Uh, so there is a version of my own story on the unchanged movement website. Um, I was one of the first rounds of unchanged stories, but basically you can write out your story of how you grew into affirming theology, how you uh, grew into owning your gender identity or sexual orientation or um, whatever it is that your journey has been toward more love, more acceptance, more whatever you're able to submit through a form on the site. And they actually guide you through with questions. So you're not just like, well, I guess I have to write my story. You don't actually have to do that. They, um, it's pretty simple and pretty straightforward. They ask you a couple questions and you just answer in a way that's true to you. And I think that that's really fantastic. So the Unchanged Movement has been growing quite a bit over the last couple of years, grown. Yeah far beyond uh, what it was when I had submitted my story, if one of you wants to speak to that. I think they have four volumes now, and I don't know how many, the number of people that is, but it's uh, probably a few hundred, I think, at this point, but I may, that may not be right. I don't do math, but it sounds really good. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I am sorry, Unchanged Movement. I don't know if that number is right, but I know they keep growing and growing. And for people who want to support them, submit your story. Oh, over 100 stories. Our Oscar, our tech support guy who works with Unchanged Movement, he said there's over 100 stories. And if you want to support them, share your story, you can give to them financially. And that's, that's a huge help to help that keep growing. Yeah. And you can also yeah. follow them on social media and then share the stories yes. that you see on there that inspire you. Something I noticed, I don't know how recently they started doing this, but they also are highlighting stories of allies. Um, so even if you're an ally and you have a story to tell around kind of embracing a more affirming theology in terms of queer people, um, there's a space for you to share your story as well. But before we jump into Q&A, Peter, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, learn more about your, your film, your book, um, anything? Yeah, so I am I'm pretty easy to find on social media. My official website is www.bypeterfenton.com. Uh, so that's B-Y, like, oh, this was written by Peter Fenton. Um, so that's how you can access my official website. Um, my social media profiles are Peter Fent. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, I believe, are all just start typing my name, but then stop. P-E-T-E-R-F-E-N-T. -E -E and you can't miss me. It's, it's right there. <laughs> um, I'm pretty awesome. active. And um, if, you, if you recognize, if you were watching this and this is your first time learning about me, um, please come say hi and let me know that the Q conference sent you um, a fairly friendly person. I don't bite. Awesome. Well, the last question we have, and then we'll get to Q&A, is what would you tell the person who's still in the closet or looking for a safe space? What What's word of like encouragement that you'd have for them? 
Oh, crap. I remember you told me that you were going to ask me this. And well, what would I say? What would I say? I pretty solid life advice in general, but I would say go with your gut. I think it's it's really important to make sure, like, I feel like our guts tell us more than we know more than more than even we realize like i think guts are sometimes sometimes it's a god nudge sometimes like it's it's just like i feel like we know in our gut whether something is good whether something is safe um whether something is better and i've been finding that as i've grown in affirming and loving and affirming myself loving myself loving others it's just like my gut is in line with what is good. So like, I, I would encourage you to listen to that gut because oftentimes our first impressions are very telling of um, what we found ourselves in, who we found ourselves with, who we find ourselves to be. You know more than you give yourself credit for. So that'll be my advice. Also just like, don't be an asshole. solid agreed (laughs) let's uh open up the floor does anyone have any questions um just throw it right in the chat how did we meet each other to start the podcast um so we met actually at the conference me and brendan met at the conference last year and um met in a like social group and uh i know who's asking this question but i'm just answering answering in general and so i was going to start a podcast and uh to peter's advice i just like went with my gut and was like i think brendan would be a good person to start a podcast with and so that's how it got started that is correct yep and of course Gaines and i met uh, just being, we we have a Philly Queer Christians Facebook group. I think that's how we met each other. Yeah, it was one of the Zoom happy hours. Yes. I, yeah, that's what it was back in the beginning of all this. All right, so Eden has asked, how did my journey with masculinity and queerness go after my gender gender class. Um, I would say mostly to what I had had said earlier, I I would say that I kind of threw the rule book out the window, the rule book being wild at heart um, after taking that class. And I, I would say that that was when I was more open to, well, A, I just became affirming as a Christian, and then was more open as the years went by to, to discover queerness in myself that was there my entire life. Aaron Bailey asks, Peter, is New Hope still the little bastion of fun queerness that it was when I last visited 20 years ago? Yes. Um, I, I serve and I bartend in New Hope, and my tip margin is uh, very good. 
<laughs> the raven closed though the raven, the raven did close yeah. um we don't have we don't have more we don't have any like specifically this is a gay bar in new hope because new hope is just gay dean newkirk asks when my story became more known and public did i lose family friends and colleagues yes so um not so much family actually at all um family was great i feel very fortunate that i'm one of the few queer people that when i came out i became closer to my family but i did lose friends i was the best man in one of my camp friends weddings and he and i are no longer on speaking terms uh since i came out i believe his words to me were Peter, I've thought about it. If you get married, I would go because people go to weddings of marriages they don't support all the time. And that is one of the single most hurtful things that has ever been said to me. So I chose to stop speaking to him, but that is what happened. Uh, I have a question here from Piper. Piper okay. asks, did you know that the podcast shares a name with a Christian station here in Minnesota? It made me laugh when I first heard all right, I first found the show because Refuge Radio positive hit music, The Refuge, was a big part of my initial faith walk. I, we, I did not know that, Piper, but hey, that is hilarious. <laughs> I just learned that yesterday from like Google, and I was like, oh, well, don't have to worry about that right now. I don't think they care too much about us. <laughs> and then it looks like we have another question for you, Peter, from one theater maker to another. How does the performing arts world challenge or affirm your faith? It's interesting. Um, the thing that's coming to mind when I hear this question is just thinking about when I moved to Philly um, from, so it was after college, it was, I did one year as a private Christian high school teacher. I was still closeted at the time, but at that point I knew that I was gay, but I moved to Philly right after that school year and I was working in the theater industry. It was like, it was the first time working in the theater in professional theater was like, oh, this is the first time I'm not in the Christian bubble anymore. I actually have to figure out what my faith actually means to me because I'm no longer, faith is no longer part of the water that I'm swimming in, right? Because um, like at Wheaton, at summer camp, at the private Christian school, at everything else before, it was like an understanding that everyone was Christian. So I think it's been interesting to go through the world, the secular world for the first time and, and really, really think about what does this mean for me? Um, so that's, that's what's coming to mind when I hear that question. I don't know if that really helps you or not, but that is my experience with the performing arts world has been figuring out where do I end and where does the rest of faith and culture begin? That's been performing arts for me. I know we are running low on time, so maybe we have time for one more question. Next question I see up is, um, how did you navigate your sexuality and your sexual ethic as you came out? It's a great question, because I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it's it's really interesting figuring out the the question of what are my sexual ethics because i feel like to a degree no matter what when you're a member of the lgbtq community you have to throw out purity culture it's like purity culture has this compulsory heterosexuality compulsory abstinence until marriage and when you introduce i'm not heterosexual so what do i do with this <laughs> i will be forthright and say that it's it's a journey it's a growing process for me i mean i'm i'm only 26 years old i'm not going to pretend to be an expert in sex and sexuality studies um i would recommend there's a couple there's a couple books couple resources that probably everyone knows about already but i'll list them anyway um matthias roberts is an excellent author, um, excellent podcaster, speaker. He has written a book called Beyond Shame uh, that I really like, um, exploring the connection between shame and sexuality. Um, I also really liked uh, Linda Lake Klein's book, Pure, um, which is another like deconstruction of purity culture type of journey. I think sex and um, sexual ethics are so individual um, yeah. that it's really difficult for me to say what I think is good and holy. Because like, I know just on an individual level, I probably have a more conservative stance on sexuality and sexual ethic than most members of the QCF, uh, very diverse community wide beliefs. But I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that like, what I believe is what everyone should believe. Cause I feel like that's yeah. what we got away from. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you all for all of you that came and listened to us. We appreciate you. And thank you all for those of you that thanked us in the chat. Thank you for your support. You. We appreciate y'all taking part in this conversation with us. And Peter, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And thank you QCF. So much for having me. Thanks for listening to Refuge Radio with your hosts, Gaines Taylor and Brendan Bell. Audio production and music were provided by Inclusion Audio with musical help from Lyndon Braun.